Let's welcome our new members here, friends. Awesome. Uh, you guys can uh, take a seat. Kids can go to classrooms. And we do have lots of cupcakes and coffee and other things for after the service. <clears throat> and with that, we can get into the message. As I already highlighted, our theme this year is Christmas in focus. But if you look at that graphic that my wife made, isn't she great? Yes, she is. The, the, it's a little out of focus, right? Because that seems to be the thing that happens a lot in the busyness of the Christmas season. And I should know, I'm a pastor. If there's anybody else that should keep some perspective on Christ, it should be me. And yet, here I am spending my time so often worrying about how am I going to get here? How am I going to get there? Oh, I haven't gotten a gift for my mom. What am I going to get my mom? I can't even think about my dad. My dad has everything. What do you get for the guy who has everything? You can get so easily swept up into good things, fun things, family things, celebration things. There's nothing wrong with all of that. That's the subtle deflection though, right? We can get so focused on these good things, but these things that are really, if we're honest, if we're frank, are secondary to the main thing. And the main thing is, of course, Christ. Keeping Christ the focus of our Christmas celebration. Not letting anything come between seeing him, abiding in his presence, going to him, calling upon him. Nothing should distract us from that focus. So what we're going to do over the next couple weeks, building up to our celebration of Christmas at our Christmas Eve service, December 24th, 3 p.m., mark your calendars, <laughs> invite your friends, it's going to be a good time. What we're going to do is we're going to see how actually through the scriptures, the Christ, the Messiah, was coming more and more into focus. Christ didn't just appear all of a sudden, out of nowhere, unexpected. What? What's with this new plan, God? No. God had been revealing the plan. He had been revealing the Messiah, the Christ. He had been revealing the Savior to come all throughout the Old Testament and was coming more and more and more into focus over the centuries. And that's the focus that we're going to be dealing with. What we have that's very helpful is a focus provided by three offices. I'll say more about this in just a moment. But we see the Christ coming into focus through the work of the prophets, bringing the word of God to the people. We see the focus coming towards Christ through the work of the priests who are standing before God on behalf of the people. And we see the Christ coming into focus through the work of the kings over the land. But there would be one who would come into focus who would embody all of these. The only one who could embody all of these. Jesus, the Messiah, our Christ. So, Let's break it down a little bit, but let's say this before we break it down. There can be a danger in breaking things down to their component parts, right? Uh, I, I think about the frog that I dissected in uh, middle, oh, sorry, people are already cringing. <laughs> you know, I learned a lot about the parts of the frog, but the frog didn't fare too well by the end of the class. You don't want to kill the thing in pulling it apart. <laughs> 
Or think about a watch. Maybe we'll talk about this. I'll be a little less graphic. Think about a watch. Imagine if you'd never seen a watch before. You think this is a fascinating object. In order to want to understand it, you start taking it apart. You pull off the top. You take off the back. You lay out very neatly the second hand, the minute hand, the hour hand. And then you invite your friend who likewise had never seen a watch before. And you say, come and look at this watch. Do they really know? Do they have any understanding? Would they have any point of reference for what that watch really is or does. No, there can be a danger sometimes in breaking things down too much. People, and I notice this, I notice about myself and I'm people, so I assume you'll relate to it. There's something in me that also resists being broken down into the parts. Hi, you know, I'm George. Yo, what do you do? Well, I'm, I'm a pastor, connect with church. It's an amazing calling. I love it. I'd love you to come visit. I'd love to tell you more about it. But there's more to me than just being a pastor. There's more to me than just this call. In order to get to know me, you should get to know my wife, Robin, and our marriage. You should get to know my children, Eden and Karis and Justin. And you should get to know the fact that I'm a brother to my brother. I'm a son you know, to my parents. I'm a friend to many in the community. I hope I have hobbies, I have interests. We resist being broken down into parts, right? We, we want to be seen holistically. And so again, that is the warning. I'm not doing this to deconstruct Jesus to kill our sense of awe and wonder. But what we want to do again over the next couple of weeks is deconstruct a little bit so we understand how the parts come together to make the Messiah. The parts actually come together in Jesus Christ to make this one who is coming into focus over and over the centuries. Now... This threefold office, prophet, priest, and king, it's been noted throughout the scriptures for centuries. It was John Calvin and his institutes that really broke it down and made it abundantly clear to us. He was the one who pointed out that the Messiah, the Christ, is synonymous with, the root of the word is the anointed one. I love the stories of anointing that run throughout the scriptures, but we, we see clearly happening in this movement towards the Christ coming into focus is how the prophets were very often anointed when they were called to bring the word of God to the people. And likewise, as part of the rituals for a, a priest to go to the temple and begin his work, they would also be anointed, ceremonially cleansed to then represent the people to God. And likewise, we see that all of the kings had to go through a ceremony of anointing. Most famously, we might remember the story of David being called the youngest of his brothers. Finally, the little boy comes through and the prophet is able to say, here is the one whom God has called and he is anointed to become the king over the land. And so we see this anointing in all three offices, prophet, priest, and king. The interesting thing about those offices is never before in the Old Testament really do you see any of those roles ever overlapping. David got into some trouble when he tried to overlap some of the roles once in his lifetime. No, they were roles reserved for certain people, men and women, certain times, certain places, and they were always distinct from one another. And part of what God was doing through that revelation was showing there is going to come one who will perfectly, like that Veen diagram, am I saying that right? Veen diagram, you know, the three circles and then, Ven, Ven, oh, GIFs, GIFs, I don't know, Veen, Ven, I always get it confused. Thank you. Um, Veen diagram, Ven, I just messed it up again. Anyways, you know the part. When all three come together, we find the Christ, the cross. We find Jesus, 
meeting in that center place. I'm going to read from you just because we went through our membership class and we talked about some of the catechisms and gave some people some resources for growing their faith. Hear this from the Heidelberg Catechism, question and answer 31, in case you're interested. But they address this threefold office of prophet, priest, and king. The question is, why is he called the Christ, meaning the anointed one? And here's our answer. Because he has been ordained by God the Father and has been anointed with the Holy Spirit to be our chief prophet and teacher who perfectly reveals to us the secret counsel and will of God for our deliverance. Our only high priest who has set us free by the one sacrifice of his body and who continually pleads our cause with the Father. And our eternal king who governs us by his word and spirit and who guards us and keeps us in the freedom that he has won for us. Once we see Christ fulfilling these offices, these roles, this can enlighten and create a tremendous amount of insight just in the simple reading of scripture. I think back to the message I preached last week about the feeding of the 5,000 and the lesson of the leftovers. Uh, once you understand how Christ is fulfilling different roles, you can see those marks all over each and every story. I won't take this too long. I'm not going to re-preach the whole sermon from last week. But what do we see in that feeding of the 5,000? We see that Jesus wants to get away for some rest with his heavenly father. So he goes to a lonely place and there the people meet him. And what does he say? They were like sheep without a shepherd. And so it says that he sat down and he taught them. He was bringing the word of God to them. Which role is he fulfilling? The prophetic role. Bringing the words, the words of life, the word of God to the people. Then the day goes on and the people stand in need. And what do we see him do? He says, you give them something to eat. The disciples don't know how to give them something to eat. So Jesus lifts the bread and he breaks it and he gives thanks and he feeds the people. He nourishes then the people, the priestly role, the breaking of the bread. And then we see during the course of the night when the disciples are out on that boat and the storm kicks up and Jesus is coming across the water and he gets into the boat with them and with a word he commands creation to be still the king, the king of all creation who can issue a decree and it happens. So we see all over the ministry, the work, the life of Jesus Christ, we can see how he's bringing all of this into perfect fulfillment then. The prophet, the priest, the king, the one who would be Messiah. The book of Hebrews goes into extraordinary detail to unpack the role of Jesus Christ as the high priest, the final priest and the final sacrifice. But here, just these opening verses, these opening lines from the book of Hebrews. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his power and word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. We see in these last days the prophetic role. He has spoken to us. We see the priestly role. He provided purification for us. We see the kingly role. He sat down at the right hand of God the Father 
Almighty. And so we see all of these again coming together in Jesus. And today, for just a few more minutes, let's look at that prophetic role of Jesus Christ and the role of the prophets in the work of God. Uh, we make much of the prophets, and well, we should, and, and we can think of the prophetic role as very high, a very lofty, uh, a very wonderful calling. But the reality is, the calling of being a prophet often didn't go so well for the prophets. Because God's word comes to us not just when it's convenient, but sometimes actually when it's most inconvenient. <laughs> the role of prophet was one often of sorrow and hardship, of suffering and pain. All of this would coincide with much of the life and the ministry we know of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Of course, we know that even the great prophet Elijah, when he was going to pass the baton of the prophetic role to Elisha, he almost has this moment where we see kind of that human side of him, that, that weak side of him, that side of, of his life that he dealt with the reality of being a prophet, bringing the word of God and having it so often rejected by so many of the people. And at rest, as he's about to call Elisha, he has this moment where he says, wait, 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 like, like, no, forget about it. Don't do it. Like, it's too hard of a call. Go back and plow the fields and be with your family and have a family and live a good life. And Elisha burns the plow and he slaughters the oxen and he feeds the people in, sense, in a sense saying, I know, I know it can be a hard call. I know it can bring rejection and hardship, misery and pain. I know I might suffer for this calling but it's a good calling and it's a needed calling. It's the calling that we all need. The calling of the prophet is to remember, to bring us back, to keep bringing us back to that which we were made for, to the one who made us. The role of the prophet is to call us out and to seek justice when our ways have become corrupt. The role of the prophet is to call us back to worship when we have strayed and let other shiny things catch our hearts and our minds and all of our attention. The role of the prophet is to call us back to obedience when we are willingly straying from the path that we know leads to God and leads to the life that he desires for all of us. The role of the prophet is to call us back to mercy when we in our flesh feel so much hate and anger and discord with the people around us. The role of the prophet is to call us back to love even when we're called to love our enemies and those who would persecute us. The role of the prophet is to call us back to forgiveness, forgiving the people who've hurt us the most because we know the forgiveness that we've experienced in Jesus Christ. The role of the prophet is to call us back to grace because grace upon grace upon grace has been poured out on each and every one of us. We see the role of prophet in Jesus paralleled so much from Moses is like Moses, the first great prophet, the first who was called to bring the word of God to the people. We see the parallels, yet we see how Christ rose above and exceeded anything that Moses could ever be or do. A story is told that when Moses appeared, folklore says that a star also appeared at that time. We know that when Moses was born, there was a decree to kill all the Hebrew babies. We know that his the, the midwives disobeyed the rules of Pharaoh and would not slaughter the children. We know that Moses' own mother and his own sister conspired to try and save his life. We know that Pharaoh's own daughter undermined her own father whenever she rescued Moses and brought him into the household of Pharaoh and raised him up. We know that Moses, though raised in that lap of luxury and privilege and prestige in the courts of Pharaoh, 
yet chose the downward mobility to go and associate with the people who needed salvation, who needed deliverance, who needed to be set free to go and worship God in the promised land. We know that Moses went up onto a mountain and received the word of God. We know that when he came down, it was so glorious that his face was radiant and the people could hardly bear to look upon him. And we just see these and more parallels in the life of Jesus. Jesus was born, and when he was born, a maniacal king named Herod sought to kill all the Hebrew babies under two. We see that his family, his mother, those around him conspired to save Jesus, and he himself escaped to Egypt where he would come out then when his calling brought him back to the people of the promised land. We know that Jesus went up onto a mountain to teach, but when he taught, he said, you have heard, but now I say to you. And Jesus becomes the one not just becoming the mouthpiece of God, but God speaking directly to us. We know that once Jesus went up onto a mountain with a few of his disciples and they saw him transfigured, they saw the glory, the true glory of his God nature now, wrapped up in that human nature, they saw it fully revealed. And so we do keep seeing, and I could bore you to death, I'm probably already boring you because you know I'm a pastor nerd, but the parallels are uncanny, but it all shows that Jesus was fulfilling what had been prepared and yet he would exceed, he would go farther and farther. And so we know that Jesus became ultimately, as we read in the candle reading today, Jesus becomes the word made flesh. He would not be just be the mouthpiece for God. He would not just be the spokesperson for God. He would not just be the one who gave the orders, the decrees, the words of God. No, Jesus is the word made flesh. Jesus needed no other words than the words that he would share because he was and is the word made flesh. Fulfilling, stepping into that prophetic role. In order to drive this home a little bit, let's just get personal. What's the old expression we say? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but how? What a lie. <laughs> what a lie. I understand why we say it sometimes. Six and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. We know that words can do more than hurt. <laughs> words can bring life and words can tear down. Words can bring happiness and joy and flourishing and words can destroy a person. And if you're anything like me, and again, I'm counting on the fact that a lot of us are like me, <laughs> we have an incredible capacity to disregard the words of life that many in our lives have sought to speak over us. And we can recall those destructive words of hate, of belittling, of undermining, of taunting, of bullying, of teasing, of sabotaging, the list goes on and on. Those are the words that stir in our heads and land in our hearts and take root there. I can still hear the words of mockery from my childhood. I can still hear the hurtful words of rejection. I can still hear the hurtful words of people who I esteemed. And this isn't to say anything about them and this isn't to make it a big like counseling session for George. And I don't wanna bel belabor it too much longer because I don't want us to live there, but I'm guessing that in the quiet of night or on a long walk with your dog or just sitting out and enjoying God's creation, 
instead of reveling in that moment, enjoying the people who you are with, taking in the beauty of God's creation, how often can you find your mind drifting off to those places of hurt, of brokenness in your own life? Again, something maybe that a parent said, that a sibling said, that a friend said, that a teacher said, that a coach said. We just keep ruminating on those words. And those words take on a prophetic power, but that prophetic power is not one that brings life, but one that brings death. What I pray and hope is that for all of us that we would have parents in our lives that would give us words, prophetic words to build us up. We'd have teachers speaking in our lives saying, you can do it. We would have <clears throat> coaches in our lives saying, you have what it takes, that you would have pastors and people in the body of Christ in your life building you up in your identity in Jesus Christ. More so, I wish those parents would actually be a part of setting you on the right path because prophetic words aren't always just inspiring, encouraging words, but they can be severe words. I hope that the teachers, whenever you failed, they also gave you stern words that said, you can do better and I'll help you along the path. I hope that whenever you didn't make the team, the coach said, I will work with you and get you to where I know you can go. I hope that we have people that share the loving words, but also the deeper words that we need in our lives. That is the prophetic role of words. I wanna invite Joy and Anna to come up and they're gonna get ready to play us some music and prepare our hearts to take communion this morning. And as they do that, I want to just take a few moments to reiterate another Christmas story and then some things uh, that I think God will want to speak over you today. There's another great Christmas story, A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. And who's the main character of A Christmas Story? Anybody remember? Anybody? Nobody? Ebenezer Scrooge. This is what I don't get about this story in our culture. That's an awesome name. He's an awesome character, Ebenezer Scrooge. But nobody, to my knowledge, has ever been named Ebenezer ever since that story came out in the 1800s. And Scrooge has itself become a word that denotes somebody who is miserly and wicked and evil, right? But that's not the story at all. What's the story? It's the story of his transformation. It's the story of a changed heart. It's the story of a life that was lost, but gets found. Ebenezer Scrooge is awesome. We should love Ebenezer Scrooge. But what takes him from that place of darkness, that place of greed, that place of stinginess, that place of hatred, that dark, dark place where he is living? Prophetic words. Prophetic words from his past, from his present, and from a possible future. It takes the prophetic words of three spirits that come into his life and the spirit of Christmas past helps him see those hurtful moments in his life that started his heart to turn hard and grow calloused and grow stern. And as he sees those scenes playing out again, he remembers the pain and the effect it had in his life. He hears words that are happening in the present, how people in his own family perceive him and understand him and how they experience in him. And he is genuinely shocked to know how much hatred and loathing they have because of the man that he's become. He gets that word from the spirit of the, the future saying, if you do not change your course, this is how you will end. And he wakes up a changed person, born again, transformed, ready to live into a new way of life. That is the power of the prophetic word of God in our lives.
And so, having just come out of Ephesians, I just want to take a moment. I'm going to take a moment. I just want to speak some words over you. And what I say in this, I, I, I do not get these words from myself. These are words from God. These are words from his holy scripture for us. This is what God says about you. And I pray that in the next few moments, you will just take a moment from God and maybe allow these words to come into your heart and begin to change maybe some of those words that had been spoken over you in ages or times past. Maybe that you could experience a new level of freedom from these words that have haunted you for maybe all of your life. That maybe by replacing some of those words that when we go on those walks or we sit in the still of the night or we quietly reflect, the things that will well up will not be the words that tore down that came from others, but words that were intended to build up and bring life that come from God. And so, what do we know? If we just look in this past fall going through the book of Ephesians, we know a whole lot about what God has said about us. We know that we are a chosen people. We know that we are a holy nation. We know that we have every spiritual blessing because of Jesus Christ. We know that we were chosen and formed before the foundation of creation, predestined, elected, called, become the children of God. We know that though we were rejected, that we have been adopted into the family of God. We know that because of Jesus Christ as our brother, we now call upon God as our heavenly father. We know now that by the power of the Holy Spirit, that God is building us into a holy family, a holy dwelling, a household of God, a temple for his Holy Spirit. We know that we have been called and that we are to live a life now worthy of the calling that we have received. We now know that God calls us to walk in the way of love. To walk in the way of love as the children of God. We know that we are called to submit our lives to Christ and to one another in the body of Christ. To live in joy and harmony and peace and hope with one another. We know that we have been fitted with the army, armor of God that will help us to stand strong against all the slings and arrows and devices of the evil one. We know that in Jesus Christ, we are a part of the body. We know that Christ loves us, that Christ died for us, that Christ rose for us, and that Christ is coming again for us. Allow these prophetic words to bring you the life that he is calling you to. Let me pray, friends, and then we are going to seal this deal by celebrating communion together. Heavenly Father, I want to give you thanks today as we enter into this Advent season. May the next several weeks be for us both a celebration and a wedding of our appetites in eager anticipation. May we celebrate what you have done for us and sending us your son, Jesus Christ, and giving us the power of your Holy Spirit and bringing us the gift that we need most, the gift that we long for most, the gift that all of us needs more than anything else, the gift of a savior. Thank you for sending Jesus, our Emmanuel, to be with us. 
Thank you for the anticipation that this now brings to mind. That just as you came once, that you are coming again. And when you do, you're bringing the heavens and the earth together in the new kingdom. Come, Lord Jesus, come. And now we pray that you will come and you will meet us here at this table. But by taking these simple elements, we may taste and touch and know and experience again the goodness of your grace and the reality, the reality revealed for us that you are truly with us. We pray this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Once again, friends, I want to remind you that I've lost my communion cup. Where did my communion cup? Is there one over there, Robin? Thank you. <laughs> Appreciate that. Let us be reminded now that as we take this cup, oh, let me say this. Um, dropping my cup made me lose my place in my mind here. We have an open table here. If you call on Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you want to experience more of him in your life, you are more than welcome to celebrate communion with us. If for whatever reason you are not comfortable taking communion, that only shows me that you have some respect and understanding of what this means to people who call Jesus as Savior and Lord. You will not be judged or ridiculed or driven out in any way. But again, for all who call on Jesus as Savior and Lord, let us now come to his table. Let us come to the meal that he prepared for us, that meal that he shared with his disciples on that night, that night that he would be betrayed, he'd be handed over to the authorities, he would be put on a kangaroo court trial, false accusations would be made, that he would be condemned, that he would be handed over to the authorities, ridiculed, mocked, spat upon, scourged, and crucified. On that night, he took the bread and he lifted it up and he broke it, giving thanks to God, saying, this is my body, which is broken for you. Take and eat and do this in remembrance of me. And after the supper, he took the cup and again, giving thanks to God, he lifted it and said, this cup is now the new covenant, which is sealed in my blood, which is shed for the forgiveness of your sins. Take and drink, all of you. For we know that these are the gifts of God. The gifts of God that allow us to remember his sacrifice to remember that he is with us now and that he is with us always. Again, let me give a prayer now of gratitude for all that God has done. We do give you thanks, Lord Jesus Christ, that you are willing to take the death that we deserve, to pay the price for the sins that we have committed and to offer us now new life through the power of your resurrection. We call upon you, Lord Jesus, our savior and Lord. We confess you and ask for your forgiveness. We invite your presence into our lives to go with us now and always. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Let's worship.